This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you out here today. Praise the Lord. Good morning already, huh? Bless all of you. If you're watching my live stream, glad to have you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high? The ushers would gladly put a Bible in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep that one. That's how much we want the Word of God to get into you. And the reason you need a Bible today is because we're going to give you a lot of sheep food today, okay? Sheep food is the Word of God. So get your hand up. Go with me to the book of Mark. Chapter 16 is where we'll begin today. Mark 16. Before we begin speaking here, i got to do this before I get... um, Jose, you and Lori, why don't you stand up? I really want to embarrass you guys. Why don't you stand up? Keep standing. These are our latest newlyweds. They got married last Sunday. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. Well, we're here another week on our our series on Wake Up. And this is going to be a little challenging today just to prepare you because I believe the Word of God has the ability to not only convict us, but the Word of God has the ability to challenge us. So you're going to see some of that. So we begin here. Just take right off in Mark 16, verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11. There's only 11 of them now because Judas, he's gone. He's out. And so as they sat at the table, Jesus, he what? Jesus rebuked. He corrected their unbelief, their lack of faith, and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them and correct them to beat them up. He, he does that to help us, to make us aware. And so that's what he's doing of, of his desires for every one of us. Now I want you to pay close attention here to verse number 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now note who said this. First of all, the Lord Jesus said this. But I want you to pay close attention to what the Lord Jesus said to them. And he emphasizes their assignment. And he says to every one of them, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the word of God to who? To every creature, to all of humanity. That's still the assignment. But we cannot get away from preaching the gospel, the good news, the Bible, the God-inspired, God-breathed word of God. Now, it's interesting to me, this is what the Lord Jesus highlighted first. He said, preach the gospel. Don't you think the Lord Jesus knew what he was talking about? I believe he knew that, and it just shows his heart for the world. So what happens as we preach the word of God? Several things begin to happen. Romans 10, 17 says, faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But when the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, and according to Hebrews 4, 12, he causes the word of God to become alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit becomes a discerner of your thoughts and the intents of your heart. But it creates something with us within the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and he will convict your heart, okay? 
That's a good thing. And you may get a dose of your heart being convicted. Go with me to the book of, of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, as you're turning to 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to set the table just a little bit before we get rolling right there in that. In Hebrews 2.1, it says, take heed, pay special attention to the words that you have heard, lest you drift away. Now, it's interesting there. He gives a warning. Take heed. Pay special attention to the word of God you've heard. In other words, don't let go of it. Why did he say that? Because he said, if you don't hang on to the word of God, you're going to drift. Now, think just a little bit about the word drift. The word drift, it, it's something that, that's really effortless. If you've ever been on a river, where you threw a raft in and they said, all you got to do is get on a tube or a raft and the current will just take, you'll just drift. You'll just go in that direction. You don't have to do nothing. You know, years ago, me and Shelly did a wedding down outside of San Antonio. And after we married this couple, their goal or their desire was for us to ride the uh, river with them. And I said, I'm in, let's go. So we get the rafts on there and we start going and don't have to do nothing for a little while. And we just begin to take off and man, periodically I just dive out of the, the little tube and I'd swim. Well, one small fact that I forgot to mention to start the story is we go to get the rafts and they said, you got to have a guide. And I said, why do you have to have a guide? And they said, because four people have died on this river in the last 24 hours. Now, that changed everything. Think about this. If I don't get away from the drift, there's the possibility that I'm going to die. Wow. How'd you guys make the raft ride? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon today, but we did all right. We got down toward the end and the guide said to me, he said, you need to really pay attention right here. You need to heed, you need to heed what I'm gonna tell you. And I said, why? And he goes, because right there at that spot, that's where everybody's dying. And when you know people are gonna die, it gets your attention real quick. So you know what we did? We paid attention. We heeded. And you say, well, evidently you made it. We made it, we're still here, thank God. Now I want you to note through the scriptures here, the things that start out may be just a drift, but watch where this goes. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says or explicitly says. Now, when you see those words right there, the Holy Spirit is telling us this, this is going to be unmistakable. This is something that's going to happen. And he says that in latter times. You know what latter times are? The end of the age, right before Jesus comes back. Some, several translations say, many, many will depart from the faith. They will give up from the true faith. They will distance oneself. They will step away. They will withdraw from what they once believed. 
they will abandon. Now, it's interesting that he says the Holy Spirit will expressly tell us that at the end of the time, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to depart. They're not just going to drift, but they're going to depart. This ought to get my attention. He goes on to say, giving heed means toward or to embrace. They will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Better yet, demon-inspired teachings, revelations, and theories. So guess what he tells us right here? Stay with the gospel. Stay with the Bible. And I want to highlight a word for you that may help you to hang on to the Bible today. Your Bible is your owner's manual. You got to get in the owner's manual, okay? Look at the owner's manual. You know, I have a pickup and I drove it six months and one day my son-in-law made the comment to me about, why don't you lock the tailgate? And I said, it doesn't lock. And he said, what do you mean it doesn't lock? And I said, there's no key on there. I can't lock that thing. And he said, you've got to be able to lock it. And I said, nope. He said, did you ever look in the owner's manual? I thought, that's a novel idea. <laughs> Within two minutes, he said, it locks now. All you got to do is press that button. Same with the, the Bible. The Bible gives me information that can only come from the heart of God. Stay with the owner's manual. When you see here the, the wording he used, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, the word deceiving is the word we get deception, which means a false impression. That there are going to be things that are going to become false. And things that are false we accept as, as real. We accept as true. We accept as valid even though literally they are false and invalid. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's false. Period. Verse 3. Verse 2. They will speak lies in hypocrisy. They will be professional hypocritical liars. This is what their teachings will be about. They, they will live contrary to the message. They will literally begin to give us a clever imitation of the truth. This is what's going to go on. So you know what this literally means? There will be ones that will tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. Well, what do I need to hear? Well, I can't get away from what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, preach the gospel. That's, that's never going to end. Stay, stay with the word of God day by day by day. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hard iron. Now every one of us in here, we have a conscience. Every one of us in here, I don't care who you are, you got a conscience. And so a conscience, it, it speaks to us in a nonverbal voice. It gives us this uncomfortable feeling. 
My, my heart is screaming in a nonverbal language. So if any of you have ever done something wrong, and right after you've done something wrong, did you sense a yuck on the inside of you? That's your conscience speaking to you. Now, I don't want to frame you with this statement, but how many have ever stole something, and after you stole something, you got this crazy yuck on the inside of you? That's your conscience. But he makes a statement here, and he says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That means they, they no longer listen to their conscience. Their conscience has been severed. Why? They quit heeding the things of God. They started this drift that ultimately came a departation. They quit listening and looking to God. Now, I don't know how long it takes to have your conscience seared, but evidently it's possible. And so I'm thinking about these lines. This is how I believe your conscience is seared. It's like the Lord picks up his phone and he calls you. And he calls John. And the phone's ringing and John looks at the caller at ID and it says God. And John goes, not today. 30 minutes later, he looks. It's 1-800-HEAVEN. And he realizes who it is. Not today. I believe day by day by day, when the Lord begins to try to convict our conscience to help us, when we quit, we quit, keep hanging up and quit, keep ignoring him, our conscience starts being severed. I personally believe it takes a lot for that to take place. But isn't it interesting right here, he says that in latter times, the ones that depart from the faith they leave the Bible, they leave the truth of the Word of God, ultimately because they listen to the philosophies, the theories of men, their conscience becomes seared. Now, if this is bothering you, say, me saying that right now, that's good. That means your conscience is still at work. That's a good thing. Verse 3. They forbid to marry. They get away from the divine ordained institution of marriage. And they also command to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they start telling people, you don't have to obey God in that area. And then they start talking about food. Well, you can't eat this or you can't eat that. Well, what we do with food and those things, we just pray over it, we sanctify it, we set it apart, and then we eat it. God's good with every bit of that. But I want to hold fast here to the thought right here that he gave us. I got to stay with the word of God. You cannot depart from the word of God. Do you know in Matthew 4, 4, the Lord Jesus said this. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to think about this real quick here. How many have already eaten something for breakfast this morning? How many are planning something for lunch here real quick? See, we all eat probably at least three meals a day, not counting the snacks in between. 
Why do you do that? Because your body's hungry. Your stomach starts screaming out. Anybody's stomach ever growled real loud? And you're like, dear God, I hope nobody in church heard that one. But let me ask you something. Does your spirit man's stomach, does it growl like that? Saying I'm hungry? Because when he says that man can only live by the word of God, the word of God within it has the ability to give you and me the nutrients, the, value, the, the vitamins, the minerals, everything we need to sustain us. Now there's a great man of God. He's got books out. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. Smith would say this. He said, you feed your natural man three hot meals a day and you feed your spirit man one cold snack a week and you wonder why you're spiritually malnourished. Amen or oh me? Oh me, pastor. Oh me. Go back with me into the Old Testament to, to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And as you're turning here, I'm, I'm going to set the table a little bit what's going on. This is some of the darkest times in the nation of Israel. If you would come out of the book of Judges, you'd go Judges, a little bitty book, four chapters called Ruth. Then you would get into 1 Samuel. When you leave Judges, Judges 21-25 says this. And everyone did what was right in their own sight. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. In other words, they quit looking to the owner's manual. They stopped reading their Bible. They stopped trusting the Word of God. Now, let me ask you something right now. If you didn't have the Bible as your guideline and you did everything you thought was right in your own eyes, where do you think you would be at right now? Let me answer that. We would either be in jail or we'd be dead. That's the significance of the Word of God. So that's what's happening at the end of Judges. It's a bad time. Now, I want to read this verse here in 1 Samuel 3 because you're going to see some things sandwiched in here. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And you may say, wait, 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 wait. Who's these names? Well, if you were here last week, we talked about a woman named Hannah who prayed and believed God for her son. This guy named Samuel is the prophet Samuel. This is the son. Samuel is a man of God, and if you'll notice, it said there, he ministered to the Lord before Eli. Eli was the high priest. He's going to come back to play here in just a minute. Watch the wording here in verse 1. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So had the Gideons quit handing out Bibles? But the Word of God was rare in those days. So you know what? You begin to see just, just off of that statement right here. The Word of God was not priority in their life. They did whatever they saw was right in their eyes. And now they don't live by the owner's manual. You know what that's a recipe of? Horrible. It's a recipe of disaster. Anytime a person or a society gets away from the things of God. So now we go back to 1 Samuel 
chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 12. Uh, we're going to highlight this a little bit, and I believe there's some things in there that can begin to locate us if we're, we're not careful here. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli. Okay, stop just a second. Eli's the high priest. He's been raised in church his entire life. But spiritually, he's half blind. He's half asleep. He's half dead spiritually. And then the Bible mentions his sons are these two knuckleheads named Hophni and Phinus. Now these two guys are the priests. I believe these two guys were raised in church. And I highlight that again. Just because you were raised in church doesn't mean you cannot drift, doesn't mean you cannot depart. There's still possibilities when I get away from the Word of God. So he says here, now the sons of Eli, they were corrupt. They were scoundrels. They were wicked. But wait, wait. They're the priests. Uh-huh. They did not know the Lord. They did not fear him. They did not obey him, nor did they regard him. Now, if this was the condition of the leaders of the church, the high priest and the priest, you can imagine how everybody else operated too. So this wasn't a good time in the Bible. So if we went verse 13, 14, 15, 16, the Bible would begin to, to give us details about some of the stuff these two priests did. And just to paraphrase it real quick, they're a bunch of thieves. They stole from the offering plate. I mean, they stole everything that came in there. So you know what goes hand in hand with a thief? You're a liar. So these two boys, they're thieves and they're liars. But they're the leaders of the church. Verse 17. Now watch what the Bible says here. Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord. He didn't say their sin. He said their sin was not just great but very great. And if you'll notice it says before the Lord. What sin does to human beings, it'll get you off course. You, you will deviate. And so sin is something that you don't want to mess with. And I believe the big thing that we got to understand about sin, sin has a snowball effect. That it'll keep getting bigger and it'll keep getting bigger and it'll keep growing stronger and stronger unless I come to a place in my life where I repent of it and I ask God to help me. But these two boys, their sin was great before the Lord. And it says, for men abhorred or they despised the offering of the Lord. Sin is no respecter of persons, guys. That's why the Bible talks about sin. It's interesting to me how I've heard people say within the church, we shouldn't talk about sin. You don't want to scare the customers. And I think, wait a minute. 
Jesus calls sin, sin. Apostle Paul calls sin, sin. And it's not to beat us up, but it is to say, when we got a sin problem, we better do what the owner's manual tells us to do with a sin problem. And you know what it says to do? First of all, you better confess it and you better repent of it. And ask God, God, soften my heart. Soften my heart, Father God. I, I don't want to be a sinner. I don't want to live that way. Anybody in here ever le uh, lettered in sin? I, I was a good sinner. Some of you say, I was a good sinner too, Pastor. Well, thank God Jesus still takes messes and makes miracles. I don't have to be dominated by sin, and you don't either. Do you know in Colossians 1.13, the apostle Paul said, he has delivered you from the power of darkness? He has. So we begin to see what these boys have done. Not good. Look at verse 18. But Samuel. That's interesting, those two words. But Samuel. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Why, why do I read that verse? Because there's a sharp contrast here. You have the two knuckleheads who are incredible sinners. And you got this young one named Samuel who's ministering before the Lord. Right smack dab in the middle of one of the most ungodly times in the nation of Israel. There's this one young one that says, I'm going to serve God. I'm, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be godly in an ungodly world. Now, the reason I highlight that, to walk as a believer and to live for the Lord Jesus and to be sold out to him, you're not going to win popularity contests right now. You're actually going to stand now, but that's okay. Do I live to impress men or do I live to impress God? Same chapter, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel. So he's getting all these reports. Little thieves, little liars. And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Uh-oh. These fellas, they're really pushing the envelope. They're just not thieves and liars. Now they've gone a little farther. So the women of the church, they come to bring their offerings into the church. And these two are scoping out all the women. Hey, look at Sister Hips over there. I say this jokingly. Can you imagine what Father God's thinking about watching this? Can you imagine these these are the church leaders and we're hitting on the women when they come to church. It's bad enough hitting on the women at the mall, but at church? It just shows me once again that when we as a people, we as ministers, we as the church, we think we can live however we want, we can, but there's going to be dire consequences and you look again, the word, of the, rare, uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. What happens when we don't live by the word of God? You know what happens? We sin. And let me spell it for you. It's capital S-I-N. Verse 24, 
23. So Eli said to his boys, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. You make the Lord's people sin. And so Eli becomes the poster child of what not to do. And what he does right here, he scolds them a little bit. He slaps their hands and says, boys, boys, you know better than that. But if you're that entrenched in sin, a little rebuke's not going to stop you. What Eli should have done is removed them and reprimanded them, but he wouldn't do that. And so oftentimes we think, well, if we'll just talk to them, they'll get a hold of this. You know, you go back ooh, a lot of years ago. And when I was going through school, when you got in trouble in a classroom, they would rip out these yellow slips. And they'd say, go see the principal. And when you'd see that yellow strip, you'd say, son of a bendigo, that's not good. Because back those days, my principal was a guy named Pete Diablo. Pete wouldn't slap my hand a little bit and say, now listen, Mr. Swan, you got to knock that stuff off. When I'd go into Mr. Diablo's office, he would say, did you do that? And I'd say, yes, sir. And he'd say, put your hands on the corner of the desk. And chalk would fly out of my britches. He would whack you so good. You, you would go, and you go back to class, and you were numb. You, you wanted to cry, but all your buddies were looking, and you're like, dear Jesus. Now, that would work for about three days. And then that marched me back in. But this is what he was doing with the things of God. He didn't discipline them. And when I talk about discipline, we discipline people and, and we do that out of a motive of love. Remember what the Bible says that God disciplines, God corrects those he loves? He doesn't do that to say, stupid. He does that because he loves us. You know what God's saying? Wake up. Wake up because on the road you're going, you're not going to like where it's going to end. And sin may start out little bitty. But when sin grows up, that's not good. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede or pray for him? Woo, watch this. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Whoa. The Lord desired to kill him? Man, your sin has got to gone a long way for that to happen. And so literally what that means is, is Romans 6.23. The wages, the compensation, the recompense of sin is death. 
a death-like existence in the New Testament. Thank God we don't live in the Old Testament. You know what? If we lived in the Old Testament, there may be a lot of dead folk in here right now. Verse 26. You got to get this verse because this is another contrast. Smack dab right in the middle of this situation. And this child Samuel, he grew in the stature and in the favor with both the Lord and men. And you know what's interesting about that statement? It's the exact same statement that was made about the Lord Jesus in Luke 2.52. I don't care when sin is everywhere around us. When you look to the right, there's sin. When you look to the left, there's sin. When you watch the news, it doesn't matter, ABC, NBC, CB, sin is everywhere, junk is everywhere. People that say, I want to live for God. People that want to say, I, I, I want to be sold out for God. God still has the, the power to help us to grow and mature in the things that he desires. But what's the difference between Samuel and the brothers? I think it all came down to their appetite. What you hungry for? Do you hunger for the word of God? Do you hunger to please God? Or do you say, no, I'd rather please myself? Keep reading. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? So he goes all the way back and he says, you remember the man of God, Moses? Remember him? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? You remember, you remember his, his brother Aaron? Remember those guys? Verse 29, there's four mys. Watch these. Why do you kick at my sacrifice. Now notice the Lord didn't say it, your sacrifice. He said it is sacrifice. And my offering. It's not your offering. It's his. And which I've commanded in my dwelling place. Not yours but his. And honor your sons more than me. To make yourself fat with the best of the offerings of Israel my people. So you know what he just said? You preferred little old you. Over pleasing me. See, when I read into that, what about you? You had a desire to please God? It's interesting, his wording here, verse 30. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me before ever. He had a covenant with them. A covenant is a non-binding agreement. A covenant is one of the strongest words in the Old Testament. And God said to this covenant, he says that your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. Far be it from me. 
For those who honor me, I will honor them, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You know what he just told them? You didn't honor me. I lived up, Father God said, I lived up to my agreement of the covenant. You didn't. Far be it from me. Don't act like you can live however you want to live, and I'm going to be a covenant God. I'm not your sugar daddy. I'm not a slot machine. You're not going to play me that way. So you know what happens here? The two boys, Hophni Finest, they go to battle one day. They both die. Word gets back to, to Eli, the high priest. And they said, both your sons are dead. And then the little messenger boy said, and we lost the Ark of the Covenant. We no longer have the presence of God. And when Eli heard that, he was in his rocking chair and he flipped over backwards and he broke his neck and he died that day. In one day, all three of them died. And not long after that, Finus's wife, she has a baby boy. She names him Ichabod. Ichabod in the Hebrew means the glory has departed. The glory and the presence of the Lord has departed. Do you know without the glory and the presence of the Lord, you know what we do? We just go through the motions. How many times do we come to church and the glory and his presence don't mean anything? I just went to church. I just went to church out of duty. So did these guys. So you begin to see something that takes place here that it started with a little drift. And they ultimately departed. And I believe this is one of the ways the Lord tells us, man, wake up. Wake up. Don't play games with God. Don't just go through the motions with God. And one of the highlights of the week's here Sunday morning. Just to come and worship together. Just to come and praise Him together. Why don't you stand up here this morning? bow your head right there where you're at you know according to John 16 verse 7 the Lord Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit would convict us he would start moving within our conscience Maybe some of the, the scriptures came alive today. Maybe it struck something on the inside of you. Or you may be a person right now that says, I've, I've drifted. I, I've drifted from the things of God. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I haven't just drifted. I've departed.
But you know what? You're here. You're here today. And God hadn't forgot you today. And God loves every one of us. But there's just a couple things that God does to say, I'm going to hold you responsible. And one of those things for every one of us is what we do with our sin. Do I blow it off? I've done this sin so long that you've kind of got the thought, God's okay with it. Well, let me tell you something. He's not okay with it. God says, I love you. And his desire is to forgive us. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. The Spirit says in the latter times expressly that many will depart from the faith. That's the bad news. The good news is this. What would happen if I just responded to God this morning? Are you here today and you need to give your heart to Jesus? Are you here today? Maybe you need to rededicate to the Lord Jesus today and say, man, I've had one foot in and I've had one foot out. I'm a saint on Sunday and I'm a sinner on Monday. I can tell you this, God still loves you. And so if that's you right now, I I welcome you get out of your seat, just just boldly. Say, that's me today. I I, I need a touch of God today on my life. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on. It's a good thing. Anybody else? Don't want to hurry this. Tell you God loves you. Just want you to get you back on track. Thank you. Thank you for obeying. That's God. Come on, guys. I see you. Thank you. Here's more coming. The goodness of God. Lunches is good. Praise the Lord, a whole family. Praise God. I'm glad you guys are in church today. Anybody else? This is wonderful. This is realizing, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be like Eli. I don't want to be like his sons. You know, if you're part of our prayer team or our staff here, I'd like for some of you to go behind these ones. We just want to lead you in prayer today. I believe this is it's going to be open heart surgery. Come on, come on, Mickey, come on. Just, I see people coming. Listen, for every one of us in here, I believe that this is this important. This is something that you can pray daily, okay? You feel comfortable, just raise your hands like this. I'm just just getting on God's frequency right now getting my spiritual antennas up and I want every one of us to say this especially you down here at the altar say dear heavenly father I come to you today as a sinner I repent of my choices my actions even my behaviors 
and take full responsibility. I ask you, Father God, to forgive me all my sin. And I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I ask you to come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be Lord of my life. Grace me today, Father God, to serve you all the days of my life with joy. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's clap. Praise the Lord. Wow. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head because I don't believe the Lord's done. But if you're here today and you need the Lord just to help you, whether it's to soften your heart, whether you're struggling in an area of your life, and, and what I mean by struggling, the Apostle Paul said this, he said, the thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. But the thing that I want to do, I don't do. Have anybody? That's, I've been there. And I believe the greatest thing we can do is ask Father God, Father God, I need your grace today. Not only your saving grace, but your grace that helps me. That's your grace that works in me today. And so as our team gets ready to sing, I'm, I'm going to welcome these altars up. And come on, let's, let's just come up here and call upon the Lord. However you desire. But don't leave home here. Don't leave church without doing this today, okay? Go ahead, God. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.